May the souls of faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Today's All Souls Day. I'm recording this on November 2nd, and it is the day in the Catholic Church that we remember, commemorate, pray for, do penance, and offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass for the souls, the holy souls that are in purgatory. Now, if you're a Protestant, if you're an evangelical, you have problems with this. Martin Luther rejected this entire idea of praying for the dead and the whole idea of purgatory. So today, I'm going to give you the theology, the Bible passages on purgatory, on praying for the dead, and I'm going to give you five reasons to pray for the dead. Before I do, some of you might be thinking, if you're one of the evangelical doubters, you're like, okay, this is going to be interesting. But some of you might be thinking, come on, Taylor, your audience is majority Catholic. I'd say probably over 80% of the audience is Catholic. Why spend time talking about something so basic? Yesterday, I received this note from a very kind lady. She'd recently become a patron. That's a Patreon patron, supporter of this YouTube channel. She wrote me a note about her recent conversion to the Catholic faith, to the Catholic Church. I'm going to not mention her name and protect her privacy, but when I got this note, I was just, I mean, I had chills, and I was so grateful to God and so comforted with such profound um, consolation. I mean, just... You'll see when I read it. Okay, so this lady wrote, she said, I wanted to thank you for being a huge part of my conversion at 62 years old. Although I accepted the sacrifice of Jesus made for me at eight years old, and he's always been my Lord since then, I still had many unanswered questions. I made my way through the Baptist, non-denominational, and Assembly of God churches. During the downtime of 2019-2020, we stopped mainstream television and began watching mostly Catholic information on YouTube. Your videos and comments forced me to think about certain scriptures and what they truly meant. One evening after your comments regarding Mary, I actually ran to check in the Bible, and there it was plain as day. It opened my eyes to the truth. I joined the Catholic Church this Easter vigil, and I'm trying to catch up on all the information I was not aware of as a Protestant. There is so much to learn, she writes. It is so wonderful to have many of my questions answered now. I have my 84-year-old Baptist mother saying and loving the rosary. My latest attempt is learning the rosary, which I pray three times a day in Latin from your website. Thanks again to you for being salty. And she goes on to write some other things there. Here's a woman who is 62 years old, found this channel, watched it, was challenged on this the basic things about the Blessed Virgin Mary because I was giving Bible verses and it led her, looking at the scriptures, to become Catholic this past Easter vigil. Again, I don't want to say her name because I want to keep her private, but if she's watching, thank you. I have this printed out on the wall next to me to inspire me. And that's what we're doing today is we're going to something so basic in Catholicism, praying for the dead, the idea of purgatory, and we're going to break it down in Scripture. 
Um, after this show, by the way, I'm going to come back and I'm going to teach you the two main prayers for the dead in Latin. You can see them right here on the screen. I'm not going to do it in this show. I'm going to take. A, I'm going to make two different shows. I'm going to take a break and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to teach you the Latin prayers. So today's two shows. So when I sign off on this one, stick around. I'll be right back for a second one. Before we do, we will pray the Our Father in Latin, Oremus. And we'll pray this for the souls in purgatory. Nomini Patris et Fidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Patro noster, qui es in celis, sanctificetur nomen tuum. Adveniat regnum tuum. Fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cielo et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie. Et imite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris. Et ne nos inducas in tentationem. Se libera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris et Pidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, let's get started. You know, I know some of the shows that are more current events, things going on in the church, infiltration topics, those get a lot more views. But I think, you know, reading a letter like this, reading feedback of people being led into the church, into the truth, that's important. And we can all do it. We can all do it. Okay, why would you pray for the dead? I got five points today. The first point is it's in the Old Testament. The second point is it's in the New Testament. The third point, it's in the church fathers. The fourth point, it assists them. And the fifth point, it assists you. All right, now let me break down each one of those points. Praying for the dead is something that Jewish people always did and that they still do. We find prayer for the dead in the Old Testament. Protestants are shocked by this. Why? Because their Old Testament is seven books short. Martin Luther removed seven books from the Bible. So if you have a Protestant Bible, the Bible you're carrying is too small. You need a Catholic Bible. And if you're watching this and for the first time you say, oh, I want a Catholic Bible. I didn't know about that. I recommend that you get the Dewey Rames English translation of the Catholic Bible. And I have something on my site. It's a free resource at taylormarshall.com. I call it my Happy Meal because people always remember Happy Meal. And the Happy Meal is a group of books, a meal, a combo platter of I recommend everyone having. Just the basic books that you should have as a traditional Catholic. I call this my Happy Meal. So if you just search my name, Taylor Marshall, Happy Meal, boom, the website will come up on Google or whatever search engine, and you can order a Dewey Rames Bible there and see all the other books that I recommend. Now, in the Catholic Bible, in 2 Maccabees, chapter 12, we read, after a war, the Maccabees had prayer and sacrifice for the dead. Let me read the passage for you. It's 2 Maccabees chapter 12. But under the tunic of the dead, they found amulets sacred to the idols of Jamnia, which the law forbids the Jews to wear. So it was clear to all, the, to all that this was why these men had been slain. They all therefore praise the ways of the Lord, the just judge, who brings to light the things that are hidden. Turning the supplication, they prayed that the sinful deed might be blotted out. The noble Judas, that's Judas Maccabee, 
not Judas Iscariot. This is hundreds of years before. The noble Judas Maccabee warned the soldiers to keep themselves free from sin, for they had seen with their own eyes what had happened because of the sin of those who had fallen. He then took up a collection amongst the soldiers, amounting to 2,000 silver drachmas, which he then sent to Jerusalem to provide for an expiatory sacrifice. In doing this, he acted in a very excellent and noble way, inasmuch as he had the resurrection of the dead in view. For if he were not expecting the fallen to rise again, it would have been useless and foolish to pray for them in death. But if he did this with a view to the splendid reward that awaits those who have gone to rest in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. Thus he made atonement for the dead, that they might be freed from this sin. End quote. So what happened in 2 Maccabees? There were Jewish soldiers who were fighting for the liberty of the holy people in the holy city Jerusalem in the temple. But under their tunics, they found amulets. They found tokens. These could have been coins. They could have been little statues. Some kind of tokens or trinkets that were related to idolatry. Were they carrying them as good luck? Were they carrying them because they stole them somewhere and were going to sell them? Were they carrying because they really believed in these gods? We don't know. But we know it's sinful and it's bad. So these men died in battle. Their general, their leader said, hey, let's take a collection. And they got 2,000 drachmas. They sent it to Jerusalem to the priest to offer sacrifice, expiation for the sins of these men who died for a good cause, who died in battle. And then the scriptures commend Judah Maccabee. They say, look, if you know there is no resurrection of the dead, it'd be dumb to pray for the dead. But he did it as a pious, what's it say here? A, a holy and pious thought. Because they're going to rise again on the last day. This shows that over a hundred years before Christ was incarnate, the Jewish people and the great leader, Judah Maccabee, and all of his people and all the Jews of his day and the priests of the temple were praying and making sacrifice, expiatory sacrifice for the dead. This is biblical. This is the truth. Now, we also see in the New Testament two passages. So that was point number one. Why should you pray for the dead? It's in the Old Testament. Yeah, but Taylor, it's not in my Bible. Yeah, well, you got the wrong Bible. There's a reason Martin Luther got rid of First and Second Maccabees. What I just read is one of them. Luther didn't like purgatory and prayers for the dead, so he cut out two books of the Bible over it. Do you want your Bible to look like the early Christians? That's the Catholic Bible. Do you want your Bible to be rewritten and edited by Martin Luther? That's the Protestant Bible. All right, the next passage I'm looking at is 2 Timothy 1 16 through 18. Now, granted, this one's not as strong, but I think if you're fair when you read it, you'll see that Paul is talking about commending a dead person to God. He says, May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Tongue twister. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me diligently and found me. The Lord grant to him to find the Lord's mercy on that day. And in how many things he served me at Ephesus, you know well. So he's talking about a Christian man who has died. He's in the past tense. 
And just while he's talking about him and commending and praising his memory, he says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy on that day, meaning the judgment day. So he is saying, he's making a commendatory prayer regarding Onesiphorus. But the really important one regarding prayers for the dead and purgatory actually comes from 1 Corinthians. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to open it up on my New St. Thomas Institute situation here. Okay. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, St. Paul is talking about the particular judgment of each person when they die. And here's what he says. Um, for no, for other foundation no man can lay but that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if a man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or stubble, every man's work shall be manifest. For the day of the Lord shall declare it, because it shall be revealed in fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If a man's work abide, he shall, which he, which he hath built upon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work burn, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet as by fire. So let me stop here. And by the way, if you want all this stuff with some citations and um, more theology, I wrote a whole book called The Crucified Rabbi, Judaism and the Origins of Catholic Christianity. It talks about the Old Testament religion and liturgy and how that informs the perfect fulfillment and continuation of God's economy and plan in the Catholic Church. See, Protestants are wrong with the whole idea of dispensationalism and a plan A and plan B, or anyone who believes that current-day rabbinical Judaism is the actual religion of the Old Testament. Eh, it's not. The true religion that perfectly fulfills everything in the Old Testament is the Catholic Church. And that's this book, The Crucified Rabbi. And there's a whole section on there on praying for the dead. Um, you can get this book. I'll send it to you signed. If you're a Patreon, go to, or at certain levels of Patreon, patreon.com forward slash dr. Taylor Marshall, or you can get it on Amazon or Catholic bookstores. Now in this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, he says that every single one of us has the foundation of Jesus Christ, and then we can build on it. You can put gold, you can put silver, you can put rubies and diamonds, or you can build hay, stubble, or wood on the foundation. When you die, St. Paul says, God is going to take a flamethrower to what you have built. So just imagine, here's the foundation of Jesus Christ. And let's say that uh, you were baptized, you prayed every day, you examined your conscience, uh, you went to confession when you've committed mortal sins. And, uh, you know, you volunteered once a month and were serving the homeless and feeding the homeless every week. That right there, every month, is a little, little golden nugget on your foundation. And maybe you also, um, you help donate. You can't travel, but you help donate for a mission um, that's ministering to people uh, in a country that needs water, that needs wells, that needs education. Those are little rubies that you're building on there. But let's say you also do some stuff that's like for the wrong reasons. You know, maybe you you give to the capital campaign, but the only reason you give is because you want other people to know that you gave. Well, that's grass. That's wood. 
So at the end of your life, when the when the angel comes with the flamethrower, the good things you did, St. Paul says, the, the silver, the gold, the rubies, the really charitable things you did, those will remain and they will be your reward, your treasure in heaven. And the stuff that you did not good or you did for the wrong reasons and the wrong charity, not in charity, but to be seen by men or in a hypocritical way, those are all going to be burned away and you're going to lose it all. But he says, even if everything burns, you suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. He says, yet as by fire. As I explain in the book, Crucified Rabbi, I go into the Greek. I won't go into the Greek today. Also in my book, The Catholic Perspective on Paul, I cover this as well because this is coming out of Paul, right? The Greek word for fire is poor. We would trans we would transliterate that into Latin letters instead of Greek letters as P-U-R, poor. It's the same Indo-European root. It's the same idea from where you get pyrotechnics and purification and purgatory. Paul says that everyone, when they die, is going to go through this fire. Some are going to suffer loss. Some are going to need to be purified more, purged more. And that's purgatory. And it's the same kind of root word, P-U-R, that Paul uses. Paul actually uses that word in Greek in 1 Corinthians 3. 15. I remember when I was a Protestant and I studied Greek. I could read Greek. Still can read Greek. And I remember reading the Greek here and realizing that the Greek word he uses here, poor, and thinking, oh my goodness, this sounds like purgatory. Like the whole theology of it sounds like purgatory, being purged by fire after you die. And even the actual word itself is a cognate. My goodness. So 1 Corinthians 3.15 really is one of the most important verses for understanding purgatory in the New Testament. All right, so today I promised you five reasons why you should pray for the dead. So the first one, it's in the Old Testament. We already covered that. It's in the New Testament. And it's in the church fathers. It's in the early church. As soon as we have writing from Christians after the time of the apostles, guess what? They mention praying for the dead. In fact, one of the oldest tombs, I believe the tomb is dated to about 167. It's a tomb of a man we know, historical record, who was a Christian named Abertius or Aberchius. And in this epitaph, which we have, and it's from 167, so this is about, you know, a hundred, less than a hundred years after the apostles have died. In his epitaph, it says, let every friend who observes this pray for me. So on his epitaph, as a Christian, a well-known Christian, he has every friend, that is every other Christian, pray for me, written on his epitaph. That's because the early Christians learned the tradition that comes from the Old Testament that the Maccabees and that the temple used, and that was praying for the dead. If you read the Dead Sea Scrolls, they also have prayer for the dead.
It's the idea that someone dies in Christ. Someone dies in a state of grace. They have faith, hope, and charity in their heart, but they have these sins still. Now you might say, well, come on, Jesus pays for all the sins. So why would you go to purgatory? Purgatory is the application of Jesus's blood on a person in purgatory. It is the completion of sanctification. It is the complete the completement of repentance and turning to the Lord and paying what is due. You might say, well, I don't know. If Jesus paid everything, why is there more due? That's because there's eternal punishment and temporal punishment. Eternal punishment is, are you going to heaven or hell? Okay, so Jesus pays for us not to go to hell, but to go to heaven. But then there's temporal punishment. That is consequences related to our action that affect us and affect other people in the world. That has to be repaired. If I borrow my neighbor's lawnmower, hey, can I borrow your lawnmower this afternoon? And I break it so it no longer works. I can't just give him the lawnmower back and say, hey, Jesus died for our sins. Sorry about your lawnmower. I have to, as a Christian, fix the lawnmower, pay for someone to fix it, or buy him a new lawnmower. Like, just because you're a Christian and Jesus paid to forgive all your mistakes and your crimes and your mortal sins and everything, all your guilt, doesn't mean that you don't have to make reparation in this life. The temporal punishments that come along. Christ himself talks about this in one of his parables. Let me pull it up for you. Sorry, I didn't have this one open yet. Oh, you know, it's the parable of the... Uh, I can't find it. Every last pence. Is that it? No. Well, darn. See, when I don't have stuff open, then I try to go on the fly. It doesn't work so good. Ah, here it is. Luke chapter 12. So let me read this to you. There's the parable of having to pay back debts. So he says, Even why even yourselves do not judge that which is just. And when thou goest with thy adversary to the prince, whilst thou art in the way, endeavor to be delivered from him, lest perhaps he draw thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the exactor, and the exactor cast thee in the prison. I say to thee, thou shalt not go out thence until thou pay the very last mite, or the very last penny. So Christ is saying there's some kind of spiritual situation where if you don't uh, endeavor to be delivered of all the things that you owe in this life, then you will not go out until you have paid the very last penny. What is Christ talking about? You know, as a Protestant, I couldn't answer this. Like, what is the situation spiritually where I'm put into a prison, put into a place of discomfort until I pay the very last penny? Protestant theology doesn't have a category for this. A Catholic reads this and says, well, yeah, he's talking about purgatory. You're a Christian. 
you're a Catholic, you believe in the Son of God, you love him, but you haven't made an endeavor to be delivered of all the temporal punishments and consequences that you have racked up in this life. And so you go to purgatory to finish your sanctification. It's like if you died 79% a saint, right? Think of like throughout your life, you start down here at zero and through grace and prayer and Bible reading and rosaries and charity and assisting the poor and clothing the naked and housing people homeless, you're moving up, up, up and you get to 73% a saint. There's still 27% uh, of you that's sort of greedy and selfish and attached to the flesh. 73% of you is there. There's just 23% or 27% is just not there yet and you die. Well, a sin, if you have that 27% attachment to sin, you're not going right into heaven. You're not pure. You have to be purified, purged, purgatory. So that sanctification that you're still 27% short of being a perfect saint. That 27% is what's paid in purgatory. It's the last sanctification that you experience. And when we pray for people in purgatory, we are praying to help speed up that purification process of sanctification in purgatory. Does that make sense? Okay, so the first one, praying for the dead in the Old Testament. Number two, it's in the New Testament. Number three, it's in the church fathers. So we saw this early tomb where a Christian is asking other Christians to pray for him. And then when we go into the excavations of the early catacombs of the early Christians, like in the 200, one, uh, not 100, but yeah, 100s, 200s, especially as we get into around the year 300, there are inscriptions. For example, may they rest in peace. May God uh, give light to the soul of, may God refresh the soul of a name. Peace be upon this person in death. May they live amongst the saints. Grant them light. All these phrases are carved into the epitaphs, into the memorials of these Christians. Prayers for the dead are inscribed in stone, frozen in time. So we know that the early Christians were all praying for the dead because they're actually writing prayers for the dead, carved in stone for us to read. There was also Tertullian, who died around the year 230. He says the widow who does not pray for her dead husband has as good as divorced him. So he's saying, if you're a widow, your husband's dead. It's just like you just straight up abandon your husband. You should pray for your dead husband. And that just assumes that prayer, the whole Christian community was praying for the dead. Also, you remember when St. Augustine's mother died, St. Monica, she said to St. Augustine, remember me, pray for me at the altar. This shows, A, that Monica believed that the sacrifice of the Mass at the altar was propitiatory. It could help her in death. But it also shows that Monica and Augustine both understood that when a Christian dies, you pray for them in the afterlife. And all the ancient Christian liturgies include prayers for the dead. In fact, one of the oldest liturgies is the liturgy of St. James, which reads this prayer. Remember, O Lord, the God of spirits and of all flesh, those whom we have remembered and those whom we have not remembered, 
men of the true faith, from righteous Abel unto today. Do thou thyself give them rest there in the land of the living, in thy kingdom, in the delight of paradise, in the bosom of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our holy fathers, from whence pain and sorrow and sighing have fled away, where the light of thy countenance visiteth them and always shineth upon them. Prayers for the dead. If you uh, read the story of St. Perpetua and Felicity, I did a great podcast on Perpetua and Felicity. Women especially love the podcast I did on Perpetua and Felicity. In that story, you see that Perpetua has a dream. And in this dream, she has a vision of her brother who died unbaptized as a child. And in this dream, she learns that prayers and sacrifice and perhaps even her own martyrdom is going to help her dead brother in the next life. So we see prayers for the dead um, even in that account of Perpetua and Felicity, which is, I mean, she died around the year 200. So, I mean, we're talking about pre-Constantinian Christianity. The church fathers definitely believe in uh, prayers for the dead and that people who are not yet purified go to a place awaiting purification and purging to go in to the glory of heaven. Now, number four, why should you pray for the dead? It assists them. It helps them out. We believe in the communion of the saints. We believe in the church. Paul says we're all members of one body. Some of us are the hands. Some of us are the eyes. Some of us are the feet. Some of us are the kneecaps. Some of us are the ears. Some of us are the heart. We're all connected. We all have our own gifts, spiritual gifts, and our own vocation by which we build up the body of Christ, which is the church. Just because you die doesn't mean you're outside the body of Christ. You're still in the body of Christ. There's members of the body of Christ in heaven. There's members of the body of Christ being purified. And there are members of the body of Christ here on earth right now, like me and you. We're all interconnected, right? You don't get amputated or cut off by death. In fact, death actually brings you closer to the head who is Jesus Christ, right? So when you pray for the dead, you are assisting them. And you should pray every day. It's customary to pray for the dead after your meals. Some people do it before. So before the meals, you say, Bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts, which we are about to receive from thy bounty through Christ our Lord. After meals, you say something. There are different versions. But we give thee thanks, Almighty God, for these and all thy benefits, who live us and reign us, world without end. Amen. And then you say, May the souls of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. After this show, I'm going to take a break and get a glass of water because my throat's getting tight. I'm going to come back and teach you that prayer in Latin. So stay tuned for that. And then the fifth reason you should pray for the dead is it assists you. Yes, it actually raises your place in heaven when you show charity for the dead. By burying the dead, scripture says, and by praying for the dead, you are doing an act of mercy, an act of charity for the faithful departed. And that spiritually makes you a saint. So if you're at 73% and you're praying and helping and loving the people who need your prayers in the afterlife, you're going to 74%, 75%, 76%. And also one of the cool things about praying for the souls in purgatory is if you are praying and doing penance or offering mass 
which is the best thing you can do for the dead, and you help them, you, you help them out of purgatory into heaven, they now become a patron of you in this life. You may not even know their name. They may have been a person who lived uh, eight centuries ago in Persia. They were a Christian. And you helped them by your prayers. And they're now in heaven now. They're now your patron. Do you know what patrons are? Patrons are people who are magnanimous, big-hearted, and assist other people. They patronize them, not in a bad way, in a good way. We have patron saints. So if you help someone out of purgatory into heaven by your prayers and penances, they're your patron and they're they're praying for you and, and helping you. So it benefits you as well. So those are the five reasons. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. It's in the church fathers in the early church. It assists them and it assists you. So pray for the dead. You can earn a plenary indulgence this week by visiting the cemetery, saying prayers for the dead, and saying prayers for the intention of the Holy Father. You must also go to communion and go to confession within 20 days of that visit of the cemetery. You can apply, well, you have to apply that particular indulgence to someone in purgatory, a loved one. You might say, well, what if that person's went to hell? Well, then it won't apply to them because you can't pray for people in hell. Hell is forever. Purgatory is temporary. It would go to someone else. What if, you say, well, that per what if that person's already in heaven? Then it will go to someone else. Ask God to apply it according to his wisdom. So you, I always offer that indulgence for my grandmother, my grandfather. But then implicit in that prayer is if they don't need it, give it to someone else. No prayer. I'll burn this in your mind. No prayer you ever pray is wasted. And there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. God always answers your prayer. He either says yes or no. He never ignores it. He never leaves it unanswered. And if he says no to your prayer, it's because he knows better and he has a bigger plan for you. There's no such thing as unanswered prayers. Don't ever let anyone tell you that. God always answers them yes or no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That applies to God as well. So pray for the holy souls. I'm going to close in a Latin prayer here. We'll do a prayer for the dead. I'm going to take a two or three minute break. And then I'm going to come back on and I'm going to do a show on praying these prayers in Latin, pronouncing them. All right. So I'm going to do, um, I'm just going to do the second one. All right. Oremus nomine Patris et Fidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Fideli manime permisericordium Dei requiescant in pace. Amen. And pray Ave Maria for the souls as well. Ave Maria, gratia plena. Dominus tecum benedicta tuum mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or prenobis peccatoribus, nunc et ator mortis nostre. Amen. Nomine Patris, Fidei et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. You also learn in the next show, you all heard of R.I.P. Rest in peace. It's actually Latin. It's requiescat in pace. I'll teach you how to pronounce it and what it all means. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're not subscribed, so you'll be notified when I go live here in a few minutes. Hit the subscribe button and hit the bell. When you hit the bell, you'll be notified. Make sure you like this video. If you learned something, you learned anything, 
like it. And then there's probably about 10 people in your life right now that need to know the information that you just learned. They might be Protestant. They might be Catholic. They, who knows, they might need, they might not know these things or be confused about it or doubting about it. That's why you need to be my algorithm. That is, you share this material. YouTube doesn't care about purgatory. It's not a big priority for YouTube. They're not going to push this video to a million people. So you're the algorithm. You take this, you hit the, the uh, share button, and you share this on Facebook. Your family and your friends will see this. It'll be a great conversation. Hopefully, it'll benefit them. What else do I want to say? Oh, yes. Pray the rosary every single day. And you can pray the rosary for the faithful departed. You can say, I offer these five decades for grandma. I offer this decade for grandma, this decade for grandpa, this uh, decade for Uncle Charlie, and all the way around. So the rosary is something that you can offer throughout the month of November for souls in purgatory. So pray the rosary every day, or you're not on the team. And speaking of patrons, if you want to be a patron of me through Patreon and help me do what I'm doing, teaching classes, doing webinars, writing books, making YouTube videos, you can do that over at patreon.com forward slash drtaylormarshall. That's my little tip jar that I put out there and you can help support the channel and I will send you thank you gifts like merchandise, t-shirts, cups, online courses, signed copies of my books, Crucified Rabbi, signed copy of Infiltration. There's all different levels and all different things so check it out. Patreon.com forward slash dr taylor marshall all right that's a show i am going to get a glass of water and then i'm going to be back here in about five minutes and i'm going to do a show on how to pray these prayers prayers for the dead in purgatory the two most popular ones in latin and you after the show you're going to memorize them you're going to know them it's not hard you're going to know how to pronounce them and for the rest of your life, you've got these two Latin prayers in your pocket. Till next time, remember, our Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. And remember our brothers and sisters right now who need your prayers and sacrifices. See you in a bit. <laughs>